Pamela Joyce here. And before you start your next Today FM podcast, we've got some helpful info with thanks to our friends over at the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission, or the CCPC. You'll need to keep this in mind if you're on the lookout for a new bank. If you're like me and you've thought about switching your current account, you have two options once you find a new bank. Under the central bank switching code, you can ask your new bank to manage the change for you, or you have the good old DIY way where you make a list of all your regular payments and then manually move over all your direct debits. While of course there is still some work involved in switching, it's never been easier to see what current account options are out there. That's because the CCPC has a current account money tool that does all the hard work for you by providing you with all the information you need to quickly compare different current accounts from different providers. And it's completely independent, free and easy to use. So find your new current account now at ccpc.ie forward slash move. Now, here's your podcast. The last word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. You may remember Steve Thompson as an English World Cup winner with the rugby team in 2003. Also hooker on the British and Irish lines two years later. A big, tough, abrasive forward. Part of the best England rugby team ever. He's written his memoir, his autobiography, Unforgettable. And there's a very deliberate reason for that title because the book's subtitle is Rugby, Dementia and the Fight of My Life. And that is a major fight that prematurely, as a middle-aged man, Steve Thompson is going through living with dementia. Steve, thank you very much for taking the time to join us on the programme. And very obvious question to start with. How are you? How are you getting on? Yeah, not too bad. Um, Just getting used to it, really. Um, Obviously, I've gone down a the medication route of late to try and level me out a bit and just understand exactly what's going on with me. Um, you know, a couple of years ago when I was diagnosed now, suddenly, you know, over the last couple of years, there's a few hundred that have come out and been diagnosed and now it's just growing. So we know it's a problem, um, but it's just understanding, you know, because we're so young, how to sort of get through life and that because it cuts you working life down a bit and opportunities and I've got a young family so it's just sort of working around with them really. So just explain what your life is like as a result of early onset dementia. Uh, well the thing is it's obviously it's got the mood swings um, memory is the big big problem really for me um, which causes a lot of <clears throat> sort of pains during the day day to day life um, and just trying to get through, you know, what's what's going on. You know, there's there's days where I'm good, um, when I'm rested, um, but then suddenly there's other days where I sort of fall apart and, you know, emotionally and that there's been a massive change in me. Uh, my wife, Steph, bless her, you know, she's she's openly said it's a bit like a, a light going out in me a bit over the last few years. Um, and then suddenly, you know, for me now, I've got to look at ways of just, understanding this and, and, and living life the best I can at the moment. So obviously I'm having to red light treatments, I'm doing uh, oxygen treatments, uh, vitamins. I'm trying to do as much as I can to try and prolong it. Um, but like I said, it's it's sort of just understanding it really. Tell me a little bit more about those treatments that you get and what they're intended to do. Um, it takes uh, the red light treatment and that helps with inflammation in your body um, and on the brain as well. 
and then also um, the thin air treatment is, is quite similar to that, but it gets the oxygen around the body, so it, it helps your body try and recover. And the thing for me is trying to get as fit as I can with a body that's falling apart because of rugby and then obviously a brain that's sort of not working like it should. Um, you know, I've, like I said, with the, it's just tiring the actual emotional changes in me as well, you know, day-to-day, the ups and downs. But, you know, I've... Mm-hmm. I've openly said, you know, a few months ago, I, I was very close to suicide. So I've, luckily I've got in touch with a really good uh, doctor, Dr. Um, Gavin Newby, who's a neuropsychologist. And he's taught me how to get myself better as I can. And, you know, it's a, he explains it like I'm a, like a Nokia battery, but an old one. So, you know, when you used to charge it, suddenly it falls apart again after an hour of charge. And that's exactly what's what's happening to my brain now. And then, of course, that's when the emotional changes start happening when I'm tired and, and things. So, you know, I, I was always one of these that thought, you know, about suicide is is it's a cheap way out. And, you know, the weak, weak do do it as such. And I feel hor- horrendous now for saying that because and, and feeling that when I was younger because looking at it now, when I've been so close, you just feel like you're probably the most, I don't know, the person that's thinking of everyone else the most because you just feel that you drain on everyone. And, you know, I've also gone on to medication to try and help level me out, um, which is a big thing because the way I look at it, I've, I've had my life really now and it's about my kids, my family, my friends and and just trying to get through what I can now and just understand it more and, you know, and just just... Yeah, just, you know, it's, it's been, even after two years, it's still finding ways of trying to make day-to-day living better. Steve, the nature of your injuries, did you get a number of serious concussions where you were knocked out cold in a game? Or is it believed by the doctors that your condition has been caused by a whole series of smaller hits, which may not have knocked you out, but progressively did damage to the brain? Uh, I think I had, I had both really, like in training sessions, because we were doing hours and hours of training, um, of contact training. So, you know, you, you're looking at the sub-concussions, you're talking about the small ones, which, you know, would have, they're, they're looking at the numbers of training and things like that that we were doing in the hours and, and they've gone through and they've tried to calculate and they're looking at eighty to 100,000 of sub-concussions um, with your brain. So, you know, if you imagine if you just keep poking your arm in the same place 80,000 times, it's going to sort of die really around that area. And that's what's happened. Um, but, you know, it's one of them for me now. I, I, I don't really look in the past now. It's not down to me to, to do that. You know, we've got to look at how can we make the game safer, prolong the game, but then also look after the old players that are going through this, but then also the current players and the future players. How can we make the game safe? Because, you know, we don't want the game to, to stop and things like that. But what we do need to do is just make it safer and make people more aware of, of what's going on. Just to explain to listeners who don't maybe know rugby well, but you played as a hooker in the front row of the scrum. And for years, I think the concern about the safety in the scrums was about possible neck injuries to players in the front row. But maybe as well, there needs to be consideration given to the impact for the front rows in particular when they come together at considerable force with a lot of weight from the players coming from behind you. Yeah, well, they've done that. They have changed that over the recent years of, of taking that big clash out, which used to be there, 
Um, whereas now, you know, they, they come together more and they sort of, there's not that big impact where we used to be a metre, metre and a half apart and then sort of charge in. Um, so they've done that. So, but it's more like the contacts, the, the tackling, the rucking, the mauling, you know, all these mini contacts that are there. So, you know, looking at them, like, like I said, we used to train two, three hours contact a day, four, four, four times, five times a week even at times. Um, so when you look at that, there's a lot of contacts. And, well, rugby have come out and advised this year that there's only 15 minutes of contact a week. They've advised it. Obviously, they haven't made it a rule. But we're saying that, you know, it needs to be seriously looked at, that, it, you know, it does get down to that sort of levels once you're, you're trained up and you're ready to go. Because, you know, look at the NFL. They've, they've taken out contact during the, the season now. And it's, it's working for their players. And they're trying to cut the number of sub-concussions in the training sessions down. Rich, I'd imagine any parent of a child listening to this who plays rugby uh, might be worried. I mean, would you advise rugby as a sport for children, for teenagers, even for adults, based on your own experience? Um, it's, well, looking at that, for myself, I've got young children, uh, four children under nine, and I wouldn't have them doing tackle rugby, even when they turn you know, 11, 12. I wouldn't now, with what I know. Um, there's other sports out there. I want them to stay in rugby. We did go down the junior rugby club. But at the moment, when it's a, a immature brain, why would you knock it around? Now, now you see it. You know there are touch rugby. The, the children obviously will get fed up because they're close and they want to do the contact. That's what children want. But in a few years, that culture will change, and it, it should be about skills and running around and and that, and not just the contact. Do you wish you'd never played rugby? Me personally, now, yeah, and you know I, I don't hate the game, um, but for me. Where I'm, where I am now, I'm just turned 43, and I'm, the, the, what I'm having to put my family through and put everyone through, it's you know I've got no memories whatsoever of my playing career. The 10 years of, and so of my rugby career is just not there. So the way I look at it, I, you know, what, why would I do that if if I had that opportunity again? And I wouldn't. That's a frightening thought that all of those enormous achievements that you had, winning the World Cup with England, 73 caps playing for the British and Irish Lions, playing for Northampton, playing in France as well, that you can't remember any of it. So, so to, to write the book, you did something which must have been a very interesting experience, to say the least. You had to go and talk to lots of people to get them to remind you of what had happened. What was that like? Yeah, I was, I was lucky. I had a, a good writer with me to help me because obviously my vocabulary shrunk considerably with all this going on and and that um, and John Woodhouse, he was brilliant and he helped me and we put lists together of people that we need to, at certain times in my life who were, who were there and influential and good friends and it was sort of my idea from the beginning, I said look, why don't we have a book that other people put in because I want it for my kids as well but also I, want, I wanted people that were going to sort of tell the truth as well and I didn't want to you know, how many times have you been to um, oh God, this one, uh, you know, a funeral, sorry. Yeah. And everyone, all, all everyone ever does is talk good of someone. And you think, when you walk away, you think he wasn't, he was a pain in the backside at times. He was horrendous. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I just want that in a book where people were like, oh, he's, he was the best bloke ever and all this. And, you know, there's a part in there when I, I have, because there's people that don't like me. And I'm saying to one of my best mates I've known since I was 15, I was like, what, why don't they like me? He's like, to be honest, you bit of a, uh, not not the nicest person at times. I'm like okay, and I knew that, and he, they put that in the book, and and that's what I wanted. So I want you know, I wanted it all warts and all, but then also it's it's one of them where, you know, it's 
when it comes to the dementia side, it's not just, to be honest, it's not me. Once, once I start really going, I'm just going to be sat there and that's me there. It's the, it's the, the damage causes around me and the family and everyone like that. And already I've loved people coming back, you know, and the feedback of saying the people saying, and not even just sports people, people that have had people in their lives with dementia, you know, the nans, the mums, dads, aunties, you know, even friends, parents. And they're like, do you know what, Steve? You just, it's, it's just opened our eyes and just to see what it's like. And, and that's the main thing for me because it's a massive problem. It's huge, but it's a silent one that no one really talks about. It's not until, Someone knows I've got it, then they then they start talking about someone that they know that's got it. You see what I mean? Or they I don't do. talk about it at all. And and the thing is, it is it's it's horrendous because it's not one of these things that can just go away and be treated. Once you've got it, you've got it, and you've and you've just got to try and live with it. And and it's like I said, it's tiring for everyone else around there. You know, I'm not a small bloke, and like you said, I've got my wife and that, and she's going to have to try and look after me and that. And you know, it's. It's a scary sort of thought, and this is why I try and stay fitter now, and I try and do everything because, for me, it's it's that you know I've, I've said I want my kids to come and see me, not have to come and see me. You know, it's yes, it's Steve, happened in what I was doing. So one last thing I want to ask you: there were reports earlier last year about legal actions been taken against the uh, rugby football union in England and against other rugby unions for compensation for players like you and others who have dementia which believe to result from their rugby careers. Have, have those legal actions progressed in any way? Um, I've, they've, I've, I've done my part. I've, I've done my bit to it. And it's like, uh, like I've said to that, you know, you leave it down to the people that went to university, you, those people that are educated to do that job. So it's in their hands now. So for us, you can either get tied up in that, whereas I've decided to leave that now because okay. if it's if it's positive or negative, the outcome, whatever, I've got to still live my life. And the thing is, you can hang up on that or I've got to try and rebuild my life. And that's what I'm trying to do. And, you know, we're talking to a lot of the other lads. Like I said, there's there's over 175 people now been diagnosed with this that were part of rugby. So it's a big problem. And th- there's more and more all the time. So you've got the you got the legal side to it, but on on the on the other side of that, you've actually got the people that are suffering. You know, that are having seizures. The stories are coming out all the time. It's horrendous. So we've got to get together and see a way of how to cope with this and help each other the, the best we can. Steve Thompson, I wish you the best. I hope that you. you will be able to uh, to live with this and that the medication and help you're getting will, will do as much as it can for you. The book is Unforgettable, Rugby, Dementia and the Fight of My Life. Steve Thompson, thank you very much for being with us here on The Last Word. Thank you. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM, it all happens here.